Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids this morning. So we have our Elevate, which is first and second grade, through this door, and EGC, which is third, fourth, and fifth grade, out through this door. Uh, Miss Lisa is going to talk to you this morning about how that's going to be changing. So as you're heading out there, uh, look for the right group. For those that are remaining, uh, we have with us this morning uh, Pastor Steve Mizell, if you want to come on up. He is from Trailhead Church over in Illinois, and I'll let him talk a little bit more about who he is and and, uh, his connection here. But he's a good friend of of Trey, and they've been together for a long time, uh, spent a lot of time together uh, understanding one another as pastors and being able to have a source of of camaraderie together uh, as they've journeyed through ministry, times of ministry together. So I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to bring God's word to us today. So let me pray for Steve. God, thank you this morning for your church, which is not just this local church, but all of the local churches that you have spread around the world. Thank you for uh, your humble servants that you placed in those churches that are willing to serve other congregations. Uh, Thank you for Pastor Steve this morning that he can come and bring a word to us uh, from your word. Uh, I pray that you would use him, send your spirit through him and into us that we may hear what you have to say, uh, that you would... uh, stir not only our minds to know more about you, but our affections to love you more and our actions uh, to put our hands and feet where you've called us to go and do what you've called us to, to do. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Good morning, y'all. I'm Steve. Uh, thanks for having me here this morning. Uh, I am the pastor of Trailhead Church. It has absolutely no connection to Trailhead Brewery, um, of which you are probably more uh, closely aware than I was when I named the church. Uh, I'm over in Edwardsville, Illinois, right across the river on the other side. Uh, We have about 100 miles of trails that connect all of our townships and communities. And so in 2011, when we started the church, uh, we chose a name that would connect all the different communities and also speak to uh, the spiritual nature of our journey, right? That we have a God who's at the beginning and at the end of our journey, the trailhead. He is the Alpha and Omega. And uh, we are the ones traveling the journey together. Um, So thank you for having me here this morning. Thanks for letting me be uh, a guest. I've known Trey, I was trying to figure it out, it has been almost 20 years. I met him in 2005, and for some of you, you're now doing the math in your head thinking, no way, that couldn't be almost 20 years ago. It is 17 years ago. Uh, He was a church plant resident at The Journey, and uh, I was a member and soon coming on staff as the director of family ministries, um, later to be sent out to plant a church myself. Over the years, Trey has been uh, honestly one of the most faithful friends I've had. He is a faithful, faithful brother. Uh, And when I have hit dark times, there are a few guys that will drop everything as quickly as he will to sit across from me and, uh, and look, you know, like, like, He's not looking at his watch. He's looking at me. Um, Trey's a good man. He is humble. He's kind. He's intelligent. He is relentlessly inquisitive, and uh, he's a great listener. And you guys are lucky to have him as a pastor. He truly is um, a man of deep compassion. 
Now, I'm not sure why it took him almost 20 years to give me an invitation to come speak at Refuge. Uh, he has spoken at Trailhead several times, um, but I am glad to be here. Uh, he did assign me my topic. You guys are going through a series right now where you're looking at the mission of the church, and specifically my topic is the mission of compassion, mercy, and justice. I was like, Trey, thanks, man, because like, if I know Trey speaks about anything passionately, it's this. Um, he is absolutely passionate about caring for the outsider, working for justice, making sure that those who are on the margins are both protected and invited to the center. And so this morning as I was thinking about this, I, I uh, um, well, you'll see where we're going to go. We're going to see where we go. The church has always been at her best when she cared for the outsider, when the church has been mindful of the most vulnerable and the overlooked, um, when we value those that our, that our culture is tempted to devalue, when we see those that our culture is tempted to ignore, when we empower those that our culture is inclined to exploit and to use, when we use our voice to protect and empower those who have limited voice to protect themselves, compassion, mercy, justice. When we see others in their suffering and we are moved to a common humanity, to protect them, to humanize them, to dignify them, to empower them in uh, productive uh, ways so that they can have mutually fruitful lives. These are issues that are close to God's heart. Uh, not surprising, right? When God revealed himself to Moses in, uh, in Exodus, uh, and he said, all right, I'm going to let you see me. I'm going to reveal myself to you. This is what he said about himself in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Um, as he's passing in front of Moses, he announces, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Compassion, mercy, justice. These things are dear to God because they are rooted in God. Not surprising because God reveals that at his very core, he is love. Right? When, when we say, what is God, there are very few things in Scripture. There are a lot of descriptions of God. He, he is holy, right? Uh, declared thrice holy, 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 right? We know that, that He is a judge. We know that He is a creator. We know that He is a lot of things. But there are very few things that Scripture says define the very essence of His being. And yet this is it, love. God is love. Now, I want you to catch this. It doesn't mean that God simply uh, knows the concept of love, that God created the idea of love. God is the eternal experience of love, right? Our theology tells us that we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three who's, one what, right? The longer we sit in that, the more our head hurts. But the beauty of that doctrine is that it tells us that we have a God who simply, he doesn't just value the idea of love, he is the eternal experience of love, of knowing and being known, of, of valuing and being valued, of loving and being loved. 
See, when it says God is love, it's not simply saying that God created this value. It's saying he is the eternal experience of this value. It is the very heart of God, the very experience of God. And when he created us in his image, he created us to live in the overflow of that experience. There was so much goodness in God, so much love in God, that he created us to live in the overflow of that goodness. To be those who basked in his love and and grew in that love and shared that love. That was the richness of our existence. We were created to be productive. We were created to be creative. We were created to, to do things and accomplish things and discover things, right? That's the creation mandate of Genesis 1 and 2, to, to care for what God had entrusted to us and, and to expand it, to image God by being like God, by creating and building. But the richness of the human experience is love. The purpose for which we were created, Right? There are no riches outside of love. There, there, there is no other um, value that gives life its meaning. You can have everything in the entire world, but if you don't have love, you are in abject poverty. Because love is the reason we exist. Love is what drives all of our endeavors. Love is what feeds our sense of purpose and meaning of comfort and worthiness, love. God created us to be rich in love. The problem is, of course, humanity broke God's good creation in Genesis chapter 3, and it breaks his heart when he sees his children created in his image, cut on the broken shards of a broken creation. He has compassion for the weak, mercy for the wayward. He is angry at injustice. When his image bearers take up the weapons of power to exploit and to harm other image bearers, he is rich in compassion, mercy, and he is driven by justice. So what did he do about it? Uh, He exercised his power to intervene right? That's, that's the heart of the gospel. He was rich in compassion. He paid the price of mercy, and he satisfied justice. He came to live the life we should have lived, and then died the death we deserved to die, because he was compassionate. The creator became one of the created because He wanted to extend mercy. The Holy One who knew no sin became sin for us. Because He was a God of justice, He took our place in judgment so that we could stand with Him in blessing. This is the power of love. Not the love of power. This is the power of love. When the high and mighty lowers himself to the lowest common denominator so that he can lift the lowly back up to where he is. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? It's not good advice on how to work our way up to God. It's the announcement that God has come down to us. 
The gospel isn't about how we can become more moral or more religious or have a better self-improvement project. The gospel is a declaration that we don't have to fix ourselves. In fact, we can't, but we can be restored through love. We can be made sane once again through the experience of grace. We can be brought back to our creational purpose of those that are living in the overflow of the love of God, rich in the love of God, free in the love of God, with purpose in the love of God, driven and content in the love of God. He came to lay down his life and to lay down his power that we might have life and once again have true power. He was laid low so that we could be raised up. And it was love that drove him. So it's not surprising that this is one of the most significant themes in Scripture. This is at the very heart of God, right? One of the most famous verses uh, in Scripture about this topic is Micah 6, 8, right? Um, You're going to see it on t-shirts and and even on coffee mugs, at least the, the condensed version, right? And Micah's rebuking the Israelites. He's like, stop bringing your empty sacrifices. Stop simply doing religious things. Stop trying to be better moral people. He says this in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, God, this is God, God has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You, you want to know what God requires? Do justice, right? Love kindness. Walk humbly. That's the essence of what it means to follow the God of love, right? James, the brother of Jesus, repeats this very same idea when he wrote his letter in the New Testament. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to know what true religion is? You want to know what it really means to be a Christian? Look for those that are on the outskirts of power. Those that are most easy to be overlooked. Those that are most vulnerable to exploitation and exercise your power on their behalf. See them with compassion. Meet them with kindness. Exercise your strength to empower them because they're being crushed in ways you're not. Isaiah tells us, that it's something we're not going to do naturally. It's something we have to learn to do. In Isaiah 117, it says, learn to do right. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Learn to do right. It's not natural. It's not something that simply flows out of you. It is something you're going to have to learn to do, to develop a, a passion for, a, 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 an appetite for. Proverbs has a whole lot to say about it. It tells us that it's both a sin not to have compassion, to show mercy, and to work for justice, but also that there's great reward for us when we do, right? Proverbs 14, 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. There is both a judgment for those who do not exercise love in this way, but there's also a tremendous promise of blessing for those who do. 
Listen, y'all, clearly the mission of love requires us to be engaged in the mission of compassion, mercy, and justice. This is a common value, honestly, in our culture. Um, It wasn't in the first century. When, When Jesus lived, if you had power, the whole purpose of power was to exercise that power. In, in the first century world, in every human culture, basically, if you had power, it was seen as your divine right to use that power. Uh, and, and so if you had the power, you could exploit workers. It wasn't seen as unethical. The reason they were your workers was because God had ordained it in some way, and you had a right to exploit them. If you had a power, the only purpose for that power was to exercise that power. There was no cultural value of humility, right? Which is weird to us, because Americans, we like humility, even kind of weirdly, right? Like the humble brag. Like if you're going to brag, make sure it's the humble brag. You know what I'm saying? Like, like don't, like we, we always, in sports, you hear this, man, act like you've been here before, right? Yeah, you got into the end zone, but act like you've been here before, right? Yeah, let your glory shine, but make sure you shine it humbly, Right? Because if you're, if you're too, that's the thing. We value humility. We value the underdog. We love underdog stories, don't we? I mean, you think about our movies. You think about our forms of entertainment. We love stories where the underdog is able to come and, and, and defeat the one in power. Y'all, you need to realize that in human history, we're weird. That's not normal. Throughout human history, power was seen as a divine right. When you were culturally given power because you were born with the right skin color or in the right family or to wealth, it was because God had ordained it and intended you to use that power for your purposes and to advance your causes. We value the story of the underdog. We value humility, at least on the surface. All right, that, that's weird in human history. Um, We got here, by the way, because of Christianity. Uh, Tom Holland, a secular historian in his book Dominion, recounts how Christianity has absolutely transformed human society. This idea of the underdog who became the victor, the one who set aside power to empower others, has so influenced society that it it has pervaded our cultural awareness and perception of others. The problem is that while Christianity has leavened society in this way and caused us to have a cultural value for the outsider, the enemy has robbed that activity of its genuine power and purpose. I give you as an example the word charity. Charity is typically the word we use to describe our activities that are governed around compassion, mercy, and justice, right? And and as a culture, we value charity. It's a good thing to do. Every corporation has charitable activities. Every wealthy person has charitable foundations, right? Every American typically will in some way be involved in charitable activities, right? Maybe for selfish reasons, right? We get great tax write-offs right? There are a lot of people who are involved in charitable activities purely because of the tax shelters that it creates for them, but we still do it, right? Charity. But I think most of us have settled for a form of charity 
that has the form, but it's been robbed of its power. I think we now have, because we have a cultural value of charity, it's important for us to look like we care about mercy without necessarily being motivated by love. Um, the enemy, I believe, as he always does, seeks to create imitations of God's good works that rob them of their genuine benefit and power. And I would say most of our charitable activities fall into this category. Charity. Uh, the word charity, interestingly enough, comes from the Latin charis, which means dear. It's a term of affection. And, and the original word charity was, it meant love. That's what it meant, right? When you read the King James Version and you read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now by these three, faith, hope, love, it's actually charity. Faith, hope, charity. Charity was the biblical word for agape love, a selfless giving of affection and love. The problem is that our culture has taken the word charity and robbed it of that meaning. Listen, Christian involvement in caring for the poor, the marginalized, and the dishonorable has been part of the Christian church, church's history. And it was driven because we were loved by God and driven to love others like God loved us. Today, charity doesn't focus on the motivation, it focuses on the action. So when we talk about a charitable gift, we're not talking about someone's motivation anymore, we're talking about what defines the, the gift, right? So if you're giving a gift to your child for their birthday, that's not charity. I hate to tell you this, you can't write that off, okay? Charity has to be given to someone who cannot pay you back. It has to be given in a way that at least appears to be selfless. And so you have to give it to a 501c3. You have to give it to a charitable organization. You have to give it to, if you want the tax write-off, right? Um, uh, you can give money to the homeless guy on the, shell, on the corner, and that also is charity, but you can't write that off because there's no, no documentation. Um, but what charity does is it focuses on the gift, not the motivation of the gift. The motivation, in fact, is irrelevant. You can be motivated by greed because it's a way to protect your income. You could be motivated by guilt. You could be motivated by shame. You could be motivated by a need to look good in front of others and to impress somebody, to, to win their favor. You can be motivated by anything, and it's still considered charity. But this robs charity of both its purpose and its power. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to challenge us as God's people to not only be involved in charitable activity, but to make sure our hearts are motivated by charitable impulses. That we're not simply going through the motions, which robs the activity of both its purpose and its power, but actually engaging the Spirit, actually moving in love so that we are not only doing something that's good, we are actually engaging the power behind it. Listen, Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. That is one of the most ridiculous things I think he's ever said. 
I mean, how many of you, when you have a birthday party, want to give everybody presents and not receive anything? How many of you on your anniversary are more concerned with giving a good present than receiving one? How many of you, when, when the work is done at work, are more concerned with giving everyone else credit than you are with getting the credit you yourself are due? How many of you really believe it is more blessed to give than receive? That's like something, that's one of those fra- phrases like that go on a Hallmark card. It's like, this is a nice thought. It's something I'll hang up, but I'm not really going to believe. I'll put it on my coffee cup so that I look like I'm, like I believe it, but, but it's so counterintuitive. I mean, when we really think about it, it doesn't make sense. It's more blessed to give than receive. Like, would you rather give someone the winning lotto ticket or receive it? Would you rather give someone a new car or receive a new car? Would you rather give someone a promotion to a position higher than your own or receive it? So either Jesus was like on drugs or we are. That's what I want to get. This seems so counterintuitive. In fact, it seems so stupid that either he was dumb or we are. Either he misread reality or we do. Either he saw the world in a way that wasn't congruous with reality or we don't. I think most of us in this room would at least admit that more than likely he was closer to reality than us. He's closer to the truth than we are. His perspective is probably more in line with what is real than ours. And if you don't believe him, just take a look at the world around you. Let me ask you, who has the perfect life you would like to have? Who's got it all right? Who's the one who's perfectly happy, perfectly content, perfectly joyful? More than likely, when you see that person, all you're looking at is the external image. And you're completely missing the internal reality because the human condition is one driven by discontent, fear, anxiety, and frustration. Listen, if we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to keep getting what we've always gotten. It might be time for us to actually believe Jesus, or at least give it a try, that it is, in fact, better to give than receive. This is so counterintuitive. I believe that's why Isaiah said it's something we have to learn. It's something we have to grow into. It's something we have to develop an appetite for. Because honestly, for most of us, when we open up our wallet and we give away money that we don't have to give, when we open up our lives and we give away time that we could be investing somewhere else, when we open up our, our, our calendar and we give away our talents in ways that could be invested in self, it hurts. It feels like a sacrifice. It feels like we're being diminished. In fact, it might even feel like we're in danger. Like if we do this too much, we might lose it all. If we want to be truly rich... We need to understand that true riches 
aren't our time, our wealth, or our talent. The true riches of life are love. And those who experience love the most are the most rich. They're the ones that are going to be most content, the most driven with purpose, the more, most sense of, have the deepest sense of worthiness to be loved. They're, they're going to be the ones who, who, who have the deepest sense of, 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 of contentment instead of discontentment, right? Love. How do we grow in true riches? How do we grow in, in this deep, profound blessing that we were created to have? All right, I'm going to give you three points for us to close out here that I think can help us grow to learn how to, to foster hearts that are motivated by love and don't simply go through the actions of love, that actually engage the purpose and power of charity and don't just take the form of charity. The first is to discern the difference between greed and grace and the motivations of our heart. We need to learn to distinguish, the differenti- differentiate between the motivations of greed and grace. Listen, charity can thrive in a heart of greed. And, and by greed, I don't simply mean financial. When we think about greed, in the English language, we tend to associate that with, with money. Now, it can be. But the truth is, we can be greedy with our time. We can be greedy with our affection. We can be greedy with our talents. We can be greedy with, with, with all kinds of things, right? As soon as we, we mark out the boundaries and we say, everything inside this boundary is mine and it is not for you, right? We then become tempted to become greedy, to become self-focused and protective of what is ours. This is mine. It cannot be yours. Charity can thrive in a heart of greed, but love flows from a heart that has been undone by grace. Listen, when Jesus said, it is better to give than receive, he was telling the truth. Because when we give, we are going to war spiritually with the greedy default of our heart. Because greed is the default of our heart. See, the human impulse is in order to reach the fullness and flourishing of life, I have to keep what I have and get more. If I truly want to be happy, I have to keep what I have and I have to get more. Financially, if I'm going to be secure, I have to keep what I have and get more. If I'm going to be rested, I have to protect my free time, my vacation time, my Netflix time, my downtime, my coffee time. I have to keep what I have and get more. If I want to be truly significant, I have to keep the promotion that I have and get more. I have to keep the followers that I have and get more. If I am going to be truly worthy of love, I have to keep all of my admirers and get more. Do you see the driving discontentment at the heart of that model? Let me ask you this. How much more do you need? How much more money do you need before you're secure? How many more followers do you need before you're significant? How many more promotions do you need before you feel important? The answer is always the same. What's the answer? A little more. It's always a little more, right? As soon as I take this vacation, woo, and then you take the vacation, what do you need? 
a little more. If, as soon as I get this promotion, everything's going to be great. You get the promotion. What do you need? A little more. Well, as soon as I have this amount of money, I will finally be secure. You get that amount of money, guess what you need? A little more. This is true. No matter how much more you get, how much more money does Jeff Bezos need? How much more? A little more. It's always the answer. You know why? Because more never satisfies discontentment. More never takes away anxiety. More never gives you genuine rest. More never gives you a sense of genuine security or significance. It's a treadmill. And it doesn't matter how fast you set the treadmill. You still never get anywhere. It is more blessed to give than receive. The impulse of greed ensnares us in a dark little prison of discontentment. And it doesn't matter how much praise you get, how many awards you get, how much accolades, how much money, it doesn't matter. All you're doing is building the walls of your prison. And your world will get smaller and smaller because when you're here, everything outside of you seems like a threat. If something threatens your ability to keep what you have and get more, it's a threat to your security. It's a threat to your significance. It's a threat to your rest. And you know what all those little things genuinely are? Genuinely, they are invitations from God to grow. Those are the doors God is asking you to walk through to grow rich. But because of the insanity of our greed, we won't walk through them. We feel threatened by them. We're afraid of them. Don't you dare ask me not to keep what I have and get more because that's, that'll destroy me. That'll impoverish me. That will rob me. And that will leave me destitute. I must provide for myself. I must protect myself. I must build myself up. I must believe the lie of Genesis 3, that I can be like God. See, the invitation of the gospel is to leave that lie behind and to once again acknowledge that God is God and I don't have to be. That God is the one who provides for my significance. God is the one who provides for my security. God is the one who, who makes me worthy of love. God is the one who gives my soul deep rest. And every single time I walk through the door of opportunity, to be a blessing to others. I'm enriched in the experience of grace because grace is given to us not to hoard, but to give. The power of grace is only set loose in transition. We receive grace, we grow generous. Because grace, what is grace other than the generous love of God? When we receive grace and grow generous in grace, we set loose the power of grace and experience its beauty in our lives. You guys remember the Old Testament story of manna? God would send the bread from heaven every single night, right? And the nearest lights would go out in the morning and they would gather that bread and they would, and they would keep it. What happened if they tried to keep it to the next day? Do you remember? It would rot. It would be full of worms. It would stink. <laughs> like you were a really bad neighbor, right? Because you, you hoarded all this stuff and it just spoiled. 
What a beautiful image of God's provision of grace. Grace wasn't given to you to hoard. It was given to you to give. And it is faith that enables us to do it. It is fear that keeps us from it. It is faith that enables me to bless others. Knowing that I have been blessed by a God, and that blessing won't stop. Faith that allows me to recognize that I cannot outgive my giving God. I cannot outlove my loving God. Y'all, we like charity more than love. You know why? Because we can put boundaries on charity. I can determine how much I'm going to give and when I'm going to give it. I determine what the threat is, and I determine how much it's going to affect me. Love, can you put boundaries on love? He'd be like, you know what? Here's the boundary of love. Kids, you're asking too much. I don't get up at 2 a.m. You know what I'm saying? Every parent knows this, right? Anybody who's had a friendship or a marriage or a relationship knows this. You can't put the boundaries on love because love, what does love demand? Everything. Everything. That's why we don't like love. Charity is so much safer. I can determine what my charitable giving is. I can determine what I'm going to give. I, I can determine what the boundaries are. And, and when a new need shows up, I can be like, I've done my part. My charitable giving is already fulfilled for the year. Right? I'm a good person. Right? But when our child shows up in need, it doesn't matter how much you've already done. Love compels us. Now let me ask you this. Those of you who have had kids and have gotten up at 2 a.m., would you take it back? Those of you who have laid down your life to be a blessing to others because you genuinely loved them, would you take it back? No. You know why? Because love doesn't just demand everything. It gives everything. The most meaningful aspects of our lives will be those that often demanded the most from us because it is more blessed to give than receive. Love demands everything. Listen, this is only possible for us when we realize that God is love. He is the infinite bank of love. And it never goes, it never goes dry, right? You can't outgive God because God is love. And because God is love, he never stops giving. He looks at you like you look at your child. He gives to you like you give to those you love. But he does it as a perfect father. When you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're full of anxiety, he's not like, you know what, kid, I'm tired. I'm not showing up to give you comfort today. When you, when you wake up and you realize that the stock market dropped and, and you've got bills to pay, and you are counting, and you're like, Lord, I am now financially destitute. You don't have a God who's like, well, nothing I can do about that. That's not my problem. i got a universe to take care of. I don't care about your bank account. You have a God who loves you more intimately and more fully than you have ever loved any other person. He cares about you. He provides for you. He is near to you. He is full of compassion and mercy, and he will work for your justice. What if instead of living in a world of scarcity, we chose to live in a world of abundance? 
What if instead of walking through our day being afraid of how much life was going to ask of us, we started walking through our day asking God, what would you have me give to? Knowing that I can't outgive God. Going to war with the greed of my heart. And recognizing that that is in fact the temptation to be imprisoned once again in my discontent. And instead of seeing the doors open, like when you get that text and someone's like, hey, do you have a minute? You know your impulse. I know my impulse. I'm not an extrovert. Every time I get that text, I'm like, whoop, I didn't even see that. I'll respond in about half hour when maybe the need has passed. You know what I'm saying? But instead of that, what if instead I'm like, God's inviting me to abundance. God's inviting me not simply to be a blessing, but to be blessed. God is inviting me not simply to be generous, but to be enriched in grace. What if we saw the world as a world filled with the abundance of the grace of God instead of a world of scarcity in which I have to keep what I have and fight to get more? And what if you could do that because it was never your job to provide for yourself to begin with? What if you could do that because it was God's job to be God, not yours? And your job was to simply live in the overflow of his goodness, giving thanks for his abundance. See, what that does, here's the second point, is that it frees us to see people instead of use people. See, charity uses people. When someone confronts me with their need, I, and I hate to go, go to this, but it's a... It, it, you guys know what it's like when you're at the stoplight and you see someone standing at the very front asking for money. You're sitting there the whole time. Am I going to look at them? Am I not going to look at them? Am I going to give money? Am I not going to give money? Am I even going to read their sign or am I not going to read their sign? Like, this is really uncomfortable. Maybe it'll turn green. I can just drive by. And then I don't even have to make a choice, right? There was never, there was never a choice to be made. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what if... And then if we do stop and we give, it's often because we feel guilt, right? It's, it's okay, what do I have in my wallet? I got a few extra bucks. I got a, feeling really generous today. I got a 10 or a 20. Um, and we give, and, and we do it in a way that ultimately is more about us than about them. What we want is for that uncomfortable situation to go away. That's what we want. Charity uses people. Grace sees people. Because grace is love. See, when we are driven by the abundance of grace instead of driven by the scarcity of greed, it allows us to actually see people. What if that homeless person on the corner were your son? Or your daughter? Or your brother? Or your father? Or your mother? Would you want to look at them? Even if you couldn't help them, would you want them to know that you saw them? Not as a problem, but as a person. Not as a nuisance, but as someone worthy to be seen. Would you want others to look at them the same way? See, love compels us to see, to honor, and not simply to use it's really easy. We spend a lot of our times, honestly, trying to avoid this discomfort, right? We live in places that, 
protect us from poverty or, or from extreme poverty. We, 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 you know, these, it's really easy to go through our day, right? They, they, a lot of times these, these situations that require intervention, man, they're, they're not eating at the restaurant next to us. They're not going to church and sitting next to us. They're, they're not living in the cul-de-sac next to us. We, we, we intentionally create spaces in which it's, we don't even have to see these problems, and, and, and we can even become resentful when they intrude into the safe spaces we've created that allow us to pretend that it doesn't exist. Love compels us to step outside of these safe circles, like Jesus stepped out of the safe circle of heaven to meet people in their need, not because it's simply what good people do, not simply because it's an act of obedience, but it's because it's love. We can't solve every problem in the world, nor are we called to, but we are called to love our neighbor. In fact, that is the great command. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're not called to solve all the world's problems, but you are called to love your neighbor. What does it look like to love your neighbor, to see your neighbor, to not see them as a threat, but as somebody to be blessed? Maybe you can't even solve their problem. Maybe you have no way to intervene in their situation, but what does it look like for you to offer them the dignity of love? to see them with the honor of a fellow image bearer, to listen to them, to see them. Sometimes that's the greatest blessing you can give someone in need because what it does is it allows them to, to once again be reconnected with the dignity of their humanity and not simply be somebody's object of charity. See, charity always moves from up to down. Love always moves from down to up. Charity is about my exercising my privilege on your behalf. And okay, here's something. I'll, uh, I'll look down and I'll, I'll and that can move on. And I can get my eyes back up here where I don't have to. I don't have to be. God came down to us, right? Philippians two tells us that that God did. Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. His experience of heaven, his experience of glory wasn't something to be selfishly held on to, but instead he emptied himself and became a servant, not just any servant, but a servant obedient enough to go to the cross, that he might die, that we might be lifted up. Love works from down to up. It lifts others up. It sees their dignity. It blesses them. And I remind you that it is those who love the most who are blessed the most. It was the joy that was set before him that drove Jesus to the cross. The blessing that was on the other side of the suffering. Here's my final point. This allows us to move from our safe zone to our growth zone. As long as you stay in your zone of comfort, you will not grow in your experience of grace, which means you are entrapped in your poverty. Some of you are living in a ghetto of your affluence. You are trapped by your comfort. You are trapped by your money. You are trapped, in, in, and, and you become content with your discontent. As long as you're comfortable, you feel like you're okay. Your comfort zone is your prison. Grace always calls us out of our comfort zone into our growth zone to step outside of what is easy, to step outside of what is, is, is natural, and to learn to develop a greater uh, hunger for the experience of 
grace, love. There's nothing like love that will get you to step outside of your comfort zone. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. Nothing like love that will lead you to step outside of your comfort zone. Right? Let me give you one final illustration just to drive this home. And, and I hesitate to use the illustration because my goal here isn't to make myself look like the good guy. If anything, it's to make my wife look like the good guy. Um, my wife and I were involved in, in ministry at SIUE outside of Edwardsville. And um, in Cougar Village, you have a lot of single moms who are working their way through college. It's unfortunately named. Um, but Cougar is the mascot of the college. And... Um, and, and so we have spent a lot of time laboring in this community, just serving people, being a blessing. Um, you know, it, when we launched the church, it was one of the areas of need that we identified that we wanted to be a blessing in. There was a, a mom and a son. She had worked her way through college. She graduated. African-American woman, brilliant, um, smart as a whip, driven, um, beautiful soul. Graduated from college could no longer stay in college housing. Um, her family was in East St. Louis, and, and she couldn't get a job. Like she was applying and applying and applying and applying, and she couldn't get a job. And she came over to our house, and, and she was just pouring out her soul to Lauren, my wife. And, um, and before I know it, like I know, like I'm inside, but I'm watching. I'm like, I know what's going to happen here. Um, Lauren comes in, and she's like, hey, what would you think about she and her son just moving in with us for a couple weeks while she looks for a job. Like, I already knew it was coming, because that's my wife. I told you I'm an introvert. I like my space. I live in an extroverted world. I am in an extroverted profession. I like my space. Um, I said, okay, <laughs> because I had no choice. Um, and because, you know, I'm a pastor and I want to be seen as a good person and all that stuff. Um, but I was really nervous about the open-ended nature of the commitment. And, uh, and I kind of brought that up. I'm like, hey, what's the, what's the plan? She, I don't know what the plan is. She just needs a job and she has no place to go. Like literally they're going to be homeless. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. And so we open up our, our home. We, we convert the, you know, we just put a, a bed in the basement. It's just short term. There's, you know, no restroom down there. They got to use the restroom on the main floor and she and her son move in. Seven months later, I'm out to dinner with my wife. Okay, I need you to know that within a week or two, I was already like, this is enough. I'm like, when is enough enough? Like, how much is enough? When, like, I was out of my comfort zone, like, out of the gate. You know what I'm saying? Like, two weeks in, um, you know, because I would come down in the morning and, and a lot of times she'd be kind of waiting in the kitchen and she's like, hey, could you give me a ride? She didn't, you know, she didn't have a car. Um, I'm like, sure, you know, and, and, and I, I like my ice cream um, and so did her son. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I buy some ice cream and I'm going to the freezer and I'm like, there it is. It's gone again. I like the, what are they, the, the little bars, chocolate-covered ice cream. But anyway, uh, I'm still finding those wrappers tucked away in my basement. Um, but about seven months in, I'm out to dinner with Lauren, and we're sitting there, and she's quiet, and I'm like, what's going on? And she looks up at me. She's got some tears in her eyes, and she's like, I may be close to my end. Like, 
I don't know how much more of this I can do. And I'm like, you're like me. It just takes you longer to get there. I'm not the horrible one. I just got there in two weeks. It's taken you seven or eight months, but you're there too, right? You're exhausted. You're tired. You're inconvenienced. You're frustrated. You're hurting. And we looked at each other and we said, how much is enough? And you know what the answer is? When you love somebody, you know what the answer is? It's not time to say it's enough. If we put them out of our home, they're homeless. We're the resource that God has provided to be a blessing to them in this time. It was a full year. And when she got her job, all the angels in heaven sang with us. Like for real. We were so thrilled for her and so thrilled for her son. And every couple of months, she still swings by our house. And she gives us updates on how they're doing. Her son's now a freshman in college. And he's doing great. And, and she's doing great. And every once in a while we'll come and there's like a present on the porch. You know, just a, a little... That was a really hard year, y'all. There's a lot of things I would probably change about what we did in that year. You know one thing I wouldn't change? Doing it. No way. God opened the door of opportunity. We simply walked through it. We said yes to the opportunity. Instead of pulling back to guard our comfort, instead of pulling back to guard our resources, our finances, and my ice cream, we instead opened the door and walked through to the opportunity to be a blessing. And you know what? I guarantee you, Lauren and I were changed more in that year than she was. We discovered more about each other in that year. We were enriched in grace as we grew rich in generosity. And what ended up happening is, is we were outside of our comfort zone. You know what happens to your comfort zone when you stay that, that outside of it that long? Your comfort zone grows. What used to feel like really, really painful sacrifice actually just feels pretty normal now. Like, like oh yeah, back, back here, like, you want what? You want $100? Uh-uh right? And then it grows a little bit. You want what? You want a car? Uh-uh. You want what? You want a year of my life? Uh-uh. And pretty soon you realize that the opportunities of generosity are opportunities to grow in grace. And when you grow in grace, you grow in what makes life rich. So here's my appeal to you. Be charitable. But don't just go through the motions. Don't be charitable like the world is charitable. Don't rob your charity of its purpose and its power. Go to war with the greed of your heart. Go to war with the selfish impulses of your heart. Go to war with the fear of your heart. And go to war with grace. Knowing that you have been enriched to be rich. You have been given grace to grow generous and it is in the passing of grace that you will be enriched because it is better to give than it is to receive. Let me close this in a word of prayer.
Father, we thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you that you are love. And because you are loved and we are the ones loved, man, there is a never-ending flow of compassion and mercy and ultimately justice. Both your work to protect us from the justice that is due to us and your work to deliver us from the injustices that wound us. Lord, will you help us to grow in this, to learn what it is. Man, this is a heart learning, not a mind learning, that our hearts would learn to crave grace, to be like Jesus. Would you help us to believe that it is, in fact, better to give than to receive? That we might grow richer and richer in our experience of grace and that our faith might grow stronger and stronger in the God who provides and that we might genuinely be a light set on a hill, a beacon in the darkness, those who are living out the kingdom principles of grace, that others might be blessed and invited to draw near and experience the same grace that has made us rich. Lord, do this for your glory. Do this for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.